Good morning. How are we doing? Good to see you today. Is it good to be seen? There we go. We are in part 16 of our series on the book of Revelation. And um, it has been a couple of weeks since we have been in the book. If you were here last week, we had a chance to hear uh, Dr. Hani and what he is doing in Egypt in the ministry there. And uh, want to um, just say this, if uh, if God has... Uh, touched your heart as it relates to Egypt and uh, you feel like uh, maybe there's an opportunity for you to do like a short-term missions trip to Egypt. Uh, Foster is going to be going there in April, uh, March, April, and would love to have uh, a team from our church join him. And so just talk to me or him and, and we'd love to give you the details on what that looks like. Um, so uh, we are going to be looking at uh, chapter 14, verses 14 through 20, chapter 15, the whole thing, chapter 16, the whole thing. So just put your seatbelts on now, okay? So we're going to be here a while, and um, that, that's what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I mean, that's just the way it's going to work. How many people here this morning uh, believe that God is in control? Amen. Amen. All right. How many people here this morning believe that God is in control if we find ourselves in a nuclear war with North Korea? How many people believe that God is in control when your personal world begins to fall apart? We got less hands. The book of Revelation tells us no matter what hits you, no matter what happens in this world, we have a God who is always in control. And so today we're going to look at some of probably the darkest, uh, most violent uh, chapters in the book of Revelation, but in a great way, um, we're going to begin to realize and recognize what a great God we actually have. And it helps us to look at the fact that God is in control even when life is unfair. And you know as well as I do that life it can be incredibly, terribly uh, unfair, but let me tell you something this morning. God is still in control. The last time we were together a couple of weeks ago, we began to look at the first part of Revelation 14. And, and then I said we would finish part two. So we're going to finish part two uh, this morning. Continue uh, in chapter 14. We're going to look at 15 and 16 as well. It's all about God's justice. It's about that in the end, because of God's justice, everything will be made right. Right? It's all about that, that our personal and individual lives today and what we do when life is unfair. Well, what do you do in those moments? Well, the book of Revelation gives us a, a hint. It, it tells us, it gives us four realities to hold on to when life is falling apart. Because in these chapters, uh, the lives of these people are there drastically. Uh, it, it's not looking good. 
in the midst of some of the worst chapters in this book, you also see some of the brightest hope. That they remind us that what? God's in control. That they remind us that his children will never be forsaken. So, so if you remember part one, uh, in the first part of Revelation 14, we saw these two events, right? We saw a lamb that, that was, uh, leading in worship and the 144,000. And we remembered when life isn't fair, one day our sorrows will be transformed into songs. And we looked at the fact that there were angels in this chapter announcing the truth. And we reminded ourselves that one day we will rest from the labor. And those without a relationship with Christ will live in eternity without rest. Right? That's what we saw in the first part of chapter 14. And those of us that are in Christ, we will face a day when we will rest from the labor of this earth. And, and it's not the work that we have to do in heaven, but it's the labor of trying to make it in a world where there is sin. It's the labor of facing a, a world that is unfair. It is the labor of when things happen for, for, for no good reason. All of those things that, that literally at times break our hearts. And one day we're going to rest from all of that. And then in the second part of chapter 14, we see a third event that will happen at the end of time. And that is the harvest is coming. Verses 14 and 15 Since Then I looked and behold a white cloud seated on uh, the cloud. One like the son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap for the hour to, to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. And Jesus told a story of this event. He told this to his disciples. So, so this is not some picture that John just kind of like makes up, right? No, he, he, he knows that, that Jesus told his disciple, Matthew 13, verse 41, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom. Everything that causes sin and all who do evil and they will throw them into a blazing furnace. Well, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, I don't know about you, but when like I go driving up north and, and I see all the, the wheat fields that, that are up there, you know what I see? I see a wheat field. <laughs> Right? Because like I'm the city kid and, and I look out there, it looks like wheat to me. And, and yet I'm told that in every wheat field there are some weeds. Right? I, I can't tell. I look at it, it looks like a wheat field. But but the expert farmer, they, can, they know, right? There are weeds in this field. And, and Jesus is saying that in this story, at the end of time, the harvest is, is going to come. And, and Jesus is the harvester. And there's something implied here that's very important. We need to understand. And that is, is that Jesus is the harvester and we are not. 
Right? We're not going to go through this world and decide the harvest at the end of the age and how that's going to get done. Now, now that doesn't mean that we don't judge like right from wrong in our world, right? We need to do that. That, that doesn't mean that we're not concerned about someone who's not yet a believer in our sphere of influences. But to judge somebody's eternal destiny, that's God's job. And that's his job alone. And Jesus said in this story, what's going to happen is when you try to pull some weeds, you're also going to pull up some wheat at the same time. And, and I don't know about you, but do you ever find yourself doing that? Right? Like you walk into your office and you go, there's a weed. But that guy over there? That guy? That's a weed. Right? Well, we, we do it all the time. Jesus said, you know what? I'm the judge of mankind's eternal destiny. Don't worry about that. That Leave that to me, Jesus said. So, so what's our job? Our job is what? To be a witness so that everybody can come to Christ, right? Eventually be a wheat. So, so there are two harvests that actually are, are talked about here. In verses 17 and 18, it says, And another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, and the angel who has authority over fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So, so what we see here is this reaping of wheat, and we see what? Reaping of grapes. Both of them is this reaping, and they point out the same thing. Both point to God's certain judgment. So, so it is certain that at the end of the age, God's judging. Right? The world all around us, it's ripening for the coming harvest of judgment. And God will not harvest too early, right? He'll give opportunity for people to come to him. But one day, there's going to be a time and the harvest is going to come. And in this harvest, those that don't know Christ as a personal Savior, verse 19, and the angel swung his sickle across the earth, gathered the great harvest of the earth and threw it into a great wine press of the wrath of God. Probably one of the most shocking pictures in all of the book. And then verse 20 says, and the wine press was trodden outside the city and the blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia. Now I don't even know how high a horse's bridle is, but I'm thinking it's pretty high. That's a lot of blood. In ancient times, the battle area of that size was probably incomprehensible, but not in modern warfare. A 200-mile radius, 1,600 stadia, right? Radius from Jerusalem that will be gathered at the time of the second coming of Christ. And we see this vivid, powerful description. It shows how complete the judgment of God is. 
Revelation 14 is the perfect answer to Revelation 13 because at the end of Revelation 13, right? Remember, it seems like Satan and the Antichrist are, are in good spot, right? Like they're going to win this whole thing. It's coming down to the wire and, and they're out in front. But Revelation 14 comes on and it shows who really is triumphant, who really is all powerful, who really is in control. And guess what? It's not Satan and his pals. Right? It is God and it is Jesus and it is his people. And so as you look at do you think God's judgment of this magnitude is fair? Right? We're talking about when life isn't fair. Is this fair? I mean, will, will everyone get a chance to hear? Will every life be examined carefully? Is it fair? When, when people ask this question, ultimately it comes down to a, to, a, to a question of trust, right? Whether it's the final judgment or God's judgment in the Old Testament or, or, or on our lives today, right? All, all of those things comes down to one thing. Can I trust God? And, and all the questions about eternity that, that I get, man, people come and ask me all the time. What about this? And what about that? Well, what about this person over here? What about this group of people over here? It all comes down to one thing. Do I trust God? Because the minute you believe and you can trust God, then you can leave all those questions to him. Right? You don't have to answer them. I can trust God to take care of the children that, that die, Right? I can trust him to take care of this group that or whatever he needs to take care of. So when you hear someone in your office or family member ask these questions, how is God going to treat this group of people or that group of people? It always comes down to, do we really trust him? And if this world is all there is, the answer is what? It's probably no, Right? Because this world's an unfair place. It's really unfair. But this world's not all there is. And we know how it's going to end. And the book of Revelation tells us very clearly that this is not all there is. And we have the hope of a future. And we realize that God can be trusted. And he can be counted on to deal justly. And do the right thing. And keep his promises. Right? As believers in Christ, we look at the world differently. Well, we have a different viewpoint. We look around us and we don't say, I'm going to live it up now because when I die, that's it. That's not what we say. No, as believers, we know that there's an eternity. We know we have a future, a place that's prepared just for us. And we have a hope. And there's nothing that this world can throw at us that can steal that hope away. That's an incredible truth that you need to hang on to. Because guess what? Life gets unfair. And when life is unfair, remember one day that God will settle the books. Right? One day there will be a judgment. One day there will be a harvest. One day the books will be settled. So the next time you feel like life is unfair, remember it's not over. 
It's not finished. It's not the end of the story. And yeah, right now, it feels sometimes like life isn't fair. But but the harvest hasn't come. The books haven't been settled. And one day, evil will be punished. And those that know the Lord one day will be rewarded. In chapters 15 and 16, we see the fourth truth that, that we have to cling to. And that is that these bowls of wrath will be poured out. Now, chapter 15... You need to write this in your notes. It's sort of a prelude to these bowls being poured out. And so verses 1 through 4 say this. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, and seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last for with them uh, the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses and the servant of God and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will uh, not fear, O Lord, glorify your name, for you alone are holy." And all nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. And so before these bowls of wrath that is going to be poured out, we see these that are victorious over the beast and they come and they're worshiping. And in Revelation 14, it seems to describe the completion of all things ending with this fury of battle in a place called Armageddon. But now John will go back and he'll describe God's judgment in more detail. And the idea here of stating and restating is common with prophecy. It's actually common in Hebrew literature. And we see that in like Genesis 1.1 to Genesis 2.7 and Genesis 2.8 through 25. We see examples of this happening. And so as we walk through here, we see the seven angels having the seven last plagues. This, we get this ideas also in Leviticus 26.21. I don't think that's in your notes, so go ahead and write that down. Then it says this, then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. And so these last Seven plagues are God's judgment on this, this disobedient world. Last part of verse one, for him, for in them the wrath of God is complete or finished. And that Greek word for wrath there we learned two weeks ago is that word thymos, right? We saw that in Revelation 14, 10. There are these two words for wrath or anger in the Greek language. Right? There, there's this, the thymos, it's a volatile, passionate anger, and then orge is this uh, anger from a settled disposition. It's this place where God's anger, like, flashes high. I mean, it's like hot anger. Now, orge is more common word for God's anger in the New Testament. Thymos is used only 11 times, 10 out of 11 here in the book of Revelation. It is the book that reveals the judgment of God against a Jesus-rejected world. And then we see that the word is complete or finished. And that Greek word literally means to reach an end or an aim. 
And here we see the hot wrath of God will fulfill an eternal purpose. Right? God's just not like blowing off steam here. Right? There's a reason for his wrath being poured out on all humanity. And then verse 2, it talks about the sea of glass mingled with fire. And the sea is designed to reflect the glory of God. And in chapter 4, its description was like unto crystal and it speaks of the holiness of God. And here the, the, the sea mingled with fire speaks of the divine judgment proceeding from God's holiness. And then it talks about those who have victory over the beast. And I think it's referring here to those uh, that are the martyrs that we saw in Revelation chapter 7. And then verses 3 and 4, they sing this song of praise. The song of Moses, and there's only one song that's sung, but it goes by two titles. You have the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And the two titles refer to a single song, and here's the perfect union between the law and love, between Old Testament covenant and New Testament covenant. And this song deeply rooted in the Old Testament gives praise to, first of all, God's works. We see great and amazing are your deeds. God's ways, just and true, are your ways. God's worthiness, who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. And and we see God's worship. All nations will come and worship you. And and did you notice through those verses, it, it was your, your, you, your, you, you, right? These martyrs only focused on God. Right? It wasn't about them. It was all about God. They had a true heart of worship. And in just a moment, we're going to see these seven angels coming out of God's temple. But first, look at verses 5 through 8. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure and bright linen with the golden sashes around the chest. One of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels uh, were finished. So the seven angels are given the seven bowls of judgment. So it's these angels that are bringing God's judgment. And it's significant that they come directly from the heavenly temple, from the presence of God, from the throne of God, right? They they don't act on their own authority. Let's not make that mistake this morning, right? No, they're acting on what? God's authority. And the significance of these bulls, and we see them uh, as these flat saucers which were used in the temple for for drinking or for pouring out a drink offering. And the contents of the shallow bowl were quickly and easily and completed like poured out. Right? It didn't take long to get it done. And then it says that nobody was enter, or able to enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were uh, finished. 
right? That's saying to us that, that God's judgment is irreversible, right? Nothing can hinder it. And, and before these bowls are to be poured out, there's one thing that we must remember. Uh, we need to remember what? God is what? In control, right? He, he's in control because we're going to see a lot of chaos here in, in a moment, and even in the chaos that we're going to see in chapter 16, God is in control. He knows what he's doing. He always has and he always will. And so in your notes this morning, I put a chart there for you. Because we looked at the seven seals and the seven trumpets. And then today, chapter 16, the seven bulls, right? So so there's the chart for you. Type A people are wondering like, what in the world? Here it is for you, okay? It's all written out. So, so we're going to look at the seven bulls. And we're going to see the sores and the sea is going to be turned to blood and the rivers to blood and, and, and fire from the sun and, and darkness. Right? Where the, the Euphrates River is going to be dried up and there's going to be this earthquake and then it's going to be like done. It's over. And so in these seven bowls, instead of just like going through all seven, I'd like you to see four things about these bowls, right? Remember, the, the first one there is remember the way that, that God's judgments intensify. So, so before I talk about the intensification of God's judgment here, I just want to read chapter 16 to you. I know it's long, it's 21 verses, um, but you know, we need to get the context here. We need to feel the, the, the wrath of God being poured out on all mankind. It says this. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of wrath of the wrath of God. And so the first angel went and he poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore uh, the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. And then the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like a blood of a corpse and, and every living thing died that was in the sea. And then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they uh, became blood. And, and I heard the angel in charge of the water say, just are you a holy one who is and was and for you brought these judgments for they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets and you have given them blood to drink it is what they deserve and i heard the altar saying yes lord god the almighty true and just are your judgments and then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire and they were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. Right? The fifth angel poured out his bull on the throne of the beast and the kingdom was plunged into darkness and people gnawed their tongues in anguish and they cursed God of heaven for their pain and sores and they did not repent of their deeds. And then the sixth angel poured out his bull on the great river Euphrates and its water dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs for they are demonic spirits 
performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God the Almighty. And behold, I'm coming like a thief. And blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and the loud voice came out of the temple and from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightnings and rumblings and peals of thunder thunder and, and a great earthquake such as there has never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake that the great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon uh, the great to make her drain the cup uh, of the wine of the fury of, of his wrath. And every island fled away and no mountains were to be found in the great hailstones about 100 pounds each fell from uh, heaven on, on people, right? And they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. It's not hard to see things kind of intensifying, is it? First we had a warning judgment, then, then we had a partial judgment, and now in chapter 16 we see a full judgment of God. Why is it getting more intense? I think it's to give people an opportunity to see them. Right? Like the world doesn't fall apart in a day. It's going to be evident to everyone that the world is not something that we need to cling on to. And yet, what do people do when this happens? Well, we'll see that here in, in a moment. But the second thing about the bull judgments I want you to see is the parallel to the plagues in Egypt. Right? You remember the plagues? Right? How many were there? There were ten, right? Plagues were of blood and frogs and gnats and flies and death of livestock and boils and hail and locusts and darkness and the death of the firstborn, right? Ten plagues. Let's take a look at the ones that we see reflected in the bowl judgments here. We see blood and frogs and flies and boils and hail and locusts and darkness and death, right? They're basically the same. Why does God make sure that we don't miss this? Right? They sing this song. They sang the song of Moses before these judgments happen. And you think God's trying to get their attention? The last time we, we see these same judgments in the Old Testament were done in, in a limited way, right? One country that was oppressing God's people. Now, now we see those same judgments that, that take place at the end of time, but this time it's a universal judgment over the whole earth that has pre- oppressed God's people. And God is foreshadowing in the Old Testament exactly what he's going to do in the end times. Why does he do that? Because he is faithful. The more you read the Bible, the more of that truth you're going to find, the more you will see how God's plan ties together all through the ages. And you will see how incredible our God really is. He is consistent, whether it's uh, a nation that's named Egypt or Babylon or Rome or whatever nation is to come. The bottom line is that I think it is a bad idea to battle against God. What do you think? Number three is the difference between natural consequences of sin and the final judgment of God. 
I want you to remember those things are different, right? You and I every day face natural consequences of sin in our lives. And I get it. Sometimes we uh, face uh, the consequences of sin uh, of other people, right? And their sin. But the reality is we live in a sinful world. And so our lives are what? They're not perfect. I don't know about you. It's your life. Mine's not perfect. That's different than God's final judgment. Because you and I know as believers, we're not going to face chapter 16. Right? We're going to be like long gone before that. Chapter 16 for us is not a reality. But in a sinful world, if I do the wrong thing, I, I face what? pain and hurt in in, in my life but let's not confuse that with the final direct judgment of God at the end of time there's going to be quite an event and that's going to be God's judgment and at this point in time the curtain will be pulled back and the whole world will see God as a just God and they will see the world as an unjust place And what will people do when they see that? It brings us to the fourth reality. And the fact is, is that right up until the end, men will battle against God. So as you read through these plagues, you're going to get to the end of them. And there's a name of a place in in verse 14 and 16. A name that you've heard of before. Verse 14, for their demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Verse 16, and they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And so these demons are going to go out and they're going to gather together, right? All these people and they're going to come against the Lord at this place called Armageddon. And Armageddon occurs nowhere else in the New Testament. It's not even found in the Septuagint. It seems to be formed from this Hebrew Har uh, Megiddo, the, the mountain of Megiddo. And today, the the Megiddo Junction is on the main road connecting the center of Israel with with the lower uh, Galilee and and the north. And so this word mountain in the term Armageddon seems to have been used because the Megiddo was in this mountainous kind of area. But, But where they did battle was in the valley adjacent to the mountain. And so what's going to happen is that is there's going to be this decisive battle, which really is going to determine the question of of the widespread presence of true religion on the earth. And there are a lot of theories on what's going to happen there. Uh, I got to tell you, right? How it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, what nations are going to be involved. And it seems to me like every generation, those theories change a little bit, right? A lot of speculation. And with all that going on, don't miss the fact that this will happen. Don't miss the fact of who's in the battle. It's a battle between man against God. And right up into the end, people are still battling God, thinking that somehow they're going to win. It's like crazy, right? Like you're going to win against God? Really? I mean, maybe you've battled against God, right? Thinking that you could win. 
Look at how they respond to these bulls, these trumpets and these seals. For for much of the world, it's just like Pharaoh and the way he responded in Egypt. And the worse it gets, the more their hearts are what? Hardened. And chapter 16 says they curse the name of God. Right? They, they could have turned to him, but now they curse them instead. Verse 9, they curse the name of God who had power over these plagues. And they did not repent and, and give him glory. Right? Verse 11, people nod their tongue in, in anguish and curse the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Right? I remember when I was a kid. My mom said to me, she goes, she had the iron up on the ironing board. She goes, don't touch that iron. So what do you think I did? Right? Took my hand flat right up against that iron. It like burned like crazy. You know how many times I did it? Like once, right? Once was it. It's exactly what God has done for us. This is what the scriptures and God is saying. God's saying, like, don't do this because God cares about us and he doesn't want us to get hurt. But but these verses are saying that right up into the end, men are going to put their hand on the iron and they're going to battle against God. And like we've all touched the iron of sin in our lives and gotten burned from it, haven't we? And God then offers us healing. Right? And he restores us back into right relationship with him. But there are going to be many people who touch the iron and it's going to burn them. And God says, don't touch it. And they're going to touch it again. And God says, don't touch it. And they're going to touch it again. God says, don't do that. And they're going to say, you know what? I'm going to do whatever I want to do. You know what? I'm going to run my life the way I want to run it. And I'm going to touch that iron. In fact, I'm going to leave my hand on that iron, they're going to say. And they're going to say, you know what, God? I'm in control and you are not. God says right up to the end, there are going to be people with their hand on that iron stubbornly. It's like, what is it going to take? Right? All the bowls of wrath going out, poured out on the world. If people don't listen to that, I mean, what is it going to take? Probably takes a cross. Right? Because what do we do? We look at the cross, right? We focus on the cross. The most significant event in human history is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what you and I do with the cross... Right? Changes our eternal destiny. So as you read Revelations 14, 15, and 16, no doubt there are some horrible, terrible things that are happening. But don't miss the hope. Because these chapters are not about destruction. These seven bulls of wrath are not about a blind destruction that comes to the world. They are about justice. And so there are two truths that we need to remember. When life is unfair, remember one day evil will be finished. Right? Without a doubt, God says it's done. And then secondly, when life is unfair, remember one day as believers in Christ, we will overcome. We'll overcome all the injustice, all the unfairness. 
Now, all the things you look at in this world and you go, why God, why would you allow that? One day we're going to understand it all. One day, Revelation 14, the seal, the 144,000 are going to stand on Mount Zion and praise God for all eternity. One day, Revelation 15, the martyrs will be standing in glory, even those that have lost their lives for their faith and praising God for all eternity. And one day, Revelation 16, God's judgment over evil will be finished. And so just remember when life isn't fair, God is. And we can put our trust in Him and Him alone. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word today. And God, my prayer for today is that although we're not going to be involved in Revelation 16 and and the wrath that's being poured out on the world, Father, I pray that that breeds in us a sense of urgency. A sense where where the people that we have in our lives, God, whether they're at work or they're in our neighborhoods or or their family members that that don't know you, God, that that we would be a people that would want to uh, be a witness for you, and just tell them about what you've done for us. That that you've died on a cross. That you rose again on the third day. And that when we accept you as our Savior. That we can live in eternity with you. May may, may that truth resonate in our hearts and in our souls and in our minds. God, may we be a people that has a passion for reaching the lost with the gospel, for reaching our community with the gospel, with reaching our neighborhoods with the gospel. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.